0: All right, if you have your outline, you want to pull that out. I want to uh, kind of piggyback off of last week, if you were here, I'll kind of just summarize. Um, First of all, let me, you know, sometimes we complicate a lot of what the Scripture is all about, and I asked last week, so what is God's plan? Amen, who said that? Yay, Nancy, you were here listening, praise God. You are God's plan. You know, we can get all this, well, what about this? No, no, no. Long before the world was ever created, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit said, we, let us create man in our image, right? And there was an us in this. It's always been about family. And they sat down and said, we're going to have a family, and you're it. Now, that'll do something, you know, this whole identity thing, and who am I, and does God love me? Oh, my gosh, please. So, in order to execute a plan, remember there were several steps to a plan. First, you have a plan. What's the goal? The goal is you. Okay, that is a strategy. And I use the analogy you're gonna to go to the beach. So today you decide to go to the beach. Well, that's your plan. What's your goal? Well, I'll probably, ought to, I can walk, but I would like to take my car. I better have a beach chair, probably need a blanket. Um, might wanna bring a drink. Might wanna to go to the right place to be, gonna Wrightsville or Carol? You have a plan and you have a strategy. And timing matters. You're going to go at midnight? You're going to go at low tide? You're going to go when the sharks are feeding? When are you going? might be good to know what time. And if you get any of those out of order, it's a mess. Right? And so we, we naturally do a lot of this in our, in our daily stuff. But in God's plan, you're the plan. He also said, I'm going to have a family and I'm going to raise up a family that is without spot or without wrinkle. They are holy. Oops. So the strategy is Jesus. We need Jesus. We got some problem about this holiness and, you know, we need to be forgiven because there's a virus that our grandparents gave us called sin. It's a spiritual virus. You all got it. Whether you like it or not, it's in there, right? It just naturally happens. And then sometimes we participate with it. So Jesus was the response or the strategic plan that says, we're going to have a family. You're it. But we got to bring Jesus into this because they're not ready to meet a holy God. Right? And then when's the timing? When is he going to do that? Well, he tells us throughout Scripture hundreds of times, when my people come back to their land in the last days, when Jerusalem is no longer trodden by the Gentiles, when all those things, I will pull it all together in Christ. When the exact number of Gentiles, it says, when the fullness of the Gentiles, Romans 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, I will bring it all together under him. So let's not make it so complicated. You're the family. He wants you, but you got to get there through Jesus because there's no other way. You're just not good enough, right? And nor am I. And so when we look at that, we said, okay. So his, we are the plan. Jesus is the strategy. He's going to pull the timing all together. And I believe it's real soon because he also told us, Throughout scripture, many, many times. When you start to see these things start to happen, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, when you start to see these things, Zechariah 12, 13, 14, and all, he says, When you start to see these things, you better get ready. Watch out. I think it's seven times. Jesus said it. Watch out. Get ready. It's at the door. It'll come when you least expect it. It's right around the corner. When you see it, you better be ready. And then he warned us in Matthew 25. Don't be like the foolish virgins who didn't have any oil. Be ready. When the bridegroom comes and he knocks, you better be ready. Well, don't be out looking for oil. Oh, he's here. I better go get ready. No, too late. Mm -mm. When the bridegroom comes to knock, we've got to be ready with our oil filled. The Holy Spirit presence has to be there in our lives, right? So let me ask this. Um, When you pull down on that strategy... What do you think what what does God the Father think about marriage? Got real quiet in here. He created it. it. Guess what? It starts in Genesis 1 and 2, it starts with a marriage. He goes on, he says, In the beginning, God. <laughs> there you go, right there, right? He creates all things. He makes the animal, makes makes Adam. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. There's no sin in the garden. And God says, it's not good that my man should be alone. How can that be? How could it be that everything that's good with no sin, but it's not, because I know this guy needs help, (laughs) so I'm going to create a helper, right? So he creates the helper. It starts in Genesis, and guess what? It ends in a marriage at the end of the book, and throughout, there's this place where he speaks of, in in, uh, Revelation 19, he says, there's going to be a marriage supper, Blessed are those who are invited to marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed. You ever get a wedding invitation, right? You know the time and the place, and you dress up. And it says, and the bride is making herself ready. Well, who's the bride? You. The Father said, I'm going to fashion a bride without spot or wrinkle for my groom, my son. She's gonna be something. And she's making herself ready, it says in Revelation 19, by the good deeds, the garments she will wear are the good deeds done by the holy people of God. And so we know that he cares about marriage. In fact, if you look at a couple of I I looked up these definitions, I said, Lord, what is marriage? What is betrothal, engagement, what is adoption, and what is a wife? Now, you might say you could probably figure those out yourself right now, but marriage is a legal and formal union or a covenant between two people. I didn't like this part. Historically, it was between a man and a woman. <laughs> okay, that's just me. Historically, it's, it, it's not historic. It's more than historical. Hello? It's a covenant that was planned, right? That's why the devil is so, he works so hard at destroying the family and relationship and covenant. So marriage is a legal and formal covenant between a man and a woman. Well, then what's a betrothal? What's the engagement process? The formal engagement or an agreement for two to be married is the betrothal. To understand this properly, here's what the rabbis tell us out of the Talmud. We look at an engagement, well, we get engaged, we plan to get married, and if we want to break it, we give the ring back and it's over. That does not work that way in the historical Talmud. Historically, the Hebrews, the way, when you are betrothed to be married under the Hebrew culture, that's as good as a marriage. In fact, the ring and the exchange is there, there's an agreement, your covenant. In God's eyes, you are married even though you still live not together. You haven't set the timing for the fulfillment under the huppah coming together in the agreement where the consummation of the marriage. But remember the story with, with Joseph, right? And Mary, he was betrothed to Mary and he decided to put her away privately when she's, tells, when she's with child. So there's a divorce. There's a literal divorce that has to happen in the breaking of a betrothed or an engagement. And that's the way God sees you. Once you come to Christ, once you're signed on the dot, I belong to him, and your spirit man is alive in Christ, you have been betrothed to the Father's Son. There is that place where it is is, is a finished deal. Now, you're not ready, (laughs) nor am I, right, until the timing and the fulfillment of that, whether that comes at the end of our life, or it comes when he comes back for us. In the betrothal process, he's making us ready, and we're making ourselves ready by the good deeds we're doing because there is a wedding feast that's coming in Revelation 19. So this really matters, and when it talks about adoption, there's another term that's used throughout the New Testament. You've been adopted as the sons and daughters of God. From the father's perspective, you know, once... Once I married my wife 46 years ago, my, I, my mother-in-law became my other mother. I have my biological mama, praise the Lord, but I also have my wife's mother. It took me a while to call her mom, but I do. And so in that process, you inherit family structure that comes together, right? And Jesus went on, he told us in book of Matthew and in Mark, the two shall become one. I read last week, we'll read it again in Ephesians, This is a mystery, how the two are joined, right, together, and they become one. It's the same with Christ and his church. So let's look at your outline. I want to start, and if you'll open your scriptures, open up the sword here to Ephesians chapter 1. I love to hear the turning of pages, but if you have your phone, that's okay. And... Oftentimes, Jim is so good about putting Ephesians and all the scriptures up. It will be in Ephesians 1, beginning in chapter 1. The bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb. He says that in both in Ephesians, speaks of the wedding feast that comes in Revelation 19. You have always been, I'm reading at the top of your outline, first paragraph. You have always been the focus and his plan. Before the world began... He was going to have a family, and he put the plan in place. Why? To capture your love for him. If we would freely belong to God's dearly loved son, his promise was to pour out his glorious grace on us and adopt us into his family. This father will love you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. I think it was David Archibald at the men's group Monday. I don't know if you remember this, David. He kind of locked in on that verse. It says, wow, that hit me. Jesus God the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus. Just kind of settle that for a minute. Most of us don't go there. You got your issues, maybe identity. You don't know what I did or I wasn't good. Stop. He says in John 17, the Father will love you. As much as he loves his son, Jesus. Now, that'll, that'll do something to your heart, right? <laughs> woo Glory to God. What does that look like? It looks really awesome. Okay, Ephesians 1. Let's look at chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which is the thought-for-thought Thought translation. But I will. I have a parallel Bible here. I also have King James. I like the word-for-word the word as well at times. I like the poetic side of that at times. This letter, verse 1, Ephesians 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. By the way, the early translations don't have the word Ephesus there. They believe it was to be written as a progressive letter, but later on, they put in Either way, it's a letter to us, right? I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ, May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. That'd be really good. (laughs) Number three, uh, verse three, all praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, everybody say every, every every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now that is awesome. Even before the world, he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So before you were ever dreamed up by the Lord had decided, King James says, according he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God decided in advance, verse 5, to adopt us as his own family by bringing us to himself, how? Through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now, that'll just blow your mind right there as well. Verse 9, God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Did you hear it? He makes it work out. Amen. Woohoo! Even when we mess it up. There's Romans 8:28. All things work together for good, right? To all those called according to his purpose, all those who love him, he just makes it work. He factors, in Bill Johnson always says, he, he factors in your stupidity, he makes it work out. In fact, he makes it work better. Okay, back on track. He says in verse 12, God purposes was, God's purpose was that we Jews were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that we will give; he will give us an inheritance he promised, and he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Boy, there is a lot of words there. The truth of the good news... When you believed, he identified you as his own. You're now marked. That's why the demons get all wound up. Because there'll be times they're like, ah, you're those people of God, and I don't like ministering with the." We've heard demons say they don't like when spirit-filled Christians pray for others because they have something. It's called the Holy Ghost. They They have the authority in Christ, Right? As a guarantee for you, the, the Spirit gives us this guarantee that we have an inheritance promised, and we're just going to praise and glorify Him. Ever since I heard this, verse 15, of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, so faith and love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. King James says it, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand with confident hope that he's given those things, he's called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. The people, the holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at the, God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Amen. Now, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all the things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body, which is, it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So these guys that, now I've heard, well, we are the church. Okay. Um, But this idea that there's a falling away from the church, which was prophesied by Paul and Timothy, there'll be a great falling away. Jesus said the same thing, the falling away must come first, right? And then, so this thing about the church, but he also told us in Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. See, there's something that happens in the church body, right? There's this fellowship of union and oneness and fun and fellowship and lots of hurt and pain and struggles. And one of the false things is, well, church, everybody's supposed to be nice in church. Well, if you're here, it may not always be nice. Right? Hello, I mean, you know, are you always nice? Pray for me. Uh, there, there's days like, whoo. Okay, so what's the point? What happens in fellowship together is the iron sharpening iron stuff. You'll have to face some of your own stuff. You'll have to, it's supposed to. And it happens in a church body. And that's why we, we know that he's called the head of the church and the church is his body. Okay, let's, let's uh, look at number one on your handout. Christ and the church are one. We are members of his body. We are his flesh and his bones. Whoa. You're the, you ever hear that? You're the, you're the Jesus on earth. You're the skin of Jesus on the earth. That's, we hear that often. Well, let's, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Just kind of turn to chapter 5, and let's unpack this oneness with Christ and the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians 5. I, I shared out of here last week about husbands are supposed to die for their wives, just like Christ died for the church. No greater love is this, right? And uh, I said, you know, the marriage wars, if you've ever been in that place, maybe it didn't work out. Um, don't let condemnation get in because today's a new day, but in the marriage wars, marriage is designed to kill both of you, right? You will have to go there and you will learn to deal with your flesh because we're kind of selfish and we like it our way or, you know, that's, and then we have to get over ourselves. <laughs> and Paul uses this example as an example of the oneness of Christ. Christ died for his bride, you. Me. And so he says in Ephesians 5, look at verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Why? To make her holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Wow. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Could somebody give me an amen there? Yeah. You're going to be holy and without fault. Yeah. Give me a few minutes. I might be able to tell you some things about you. <laughs> but in that day, he says, no, no, no. No blemishes. No wrinkles. woo glory to God. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are the members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and his wife must respect her husband. Here's a picture, you know, the whole thing with marriage and children, he goes throughout both Ephesians, Philippians on what is the relationships, how you honor one another? Well, in this preparation, look at there's a, there's another scripture here. It says in Colossians 1:18. We won't turn there. It says Christ is the head of the church. His body, I listed that in number one. Colossians 118, Christ is the head and you are the body. Well, let's flush that out. This is probably another familiar scripture. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, it, we, we've shared often from this, and the first is the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed there. He deals with uh, the gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. He deals with administrations that comes from the, uh, Jesus. That's in uh, 1 Corinthians twelve five, And then he deals with the operations that is a gift from the Father. I won't unpack that again, but th- then he lists the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, tongues, and prophecy. So he lists the gifts given by Holy Spirit. Why do you have them? Why are you to pursue them? so that you can build and edify the church, it says in verse 7. So you are to pursue those gifts. And so why? Because he's going to build his church. He's going to build the body of Christ. Like yesterday, I came home. There were prophetic words that were four different words, all consistent to me, that just helped me, anchored me down like, wow, God. And so there's something about in the gifting when, you, when, when you're in the mix of a body of believers that are operating in the power of the Holy Ghost, He operates in. He'll highlight you. You'll get a word. He can do it through the written word, the oral word. The, he can do it through song sets the laying on of hands. There's all of that. And so we know that He says, you're the body. Look at chapter uh, 12 in 1 Corinthians. Look, let's pick up in, in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12:12. 12, 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, some of you are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. That's why we need to be careful about judging other churches, denominations, small groups, parachurch, be careful of that. Yeah, you can, we'll know them by their fruit, I understand that, we are to make those kind of judgments, but be careful that you don't become judgmental. Because the bride has a lot of parts. Some are, it says, the uncomely things are covered up, and the hand can't tell the, the, the foot, I don't like you. That's dumb, right? So he's, look, we are the body of Christ, and therefore, it's all together. And as far as Jesus, the, the kingdom of God looks down, and he sees the church in all of its parts, says, that's my body, that's my bride. She's getting ready to know me in a fullness so be careful of any critical stuff, just, I know, it's tough sometimes. But anyway, there, there's this place where he says, and he puts the body all together, he talks about how the body comes together. Verse 27, and all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you has a part. And here are some of the parts that he has appointed, Now this goes into Ephesians, right, the fivefold ministry part of Ephesians 2. He says, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts, healings. Leadership, languages, helps, these are examples. He says, not all are like that, but you should earnestly desire. He says in verse 31, you should earnestly desire these most helpful gifts. Let me show you the way to life is best of all, okay? So so there's this place where the body of Christ. Now turn, let's look at the preparation. Where I'm going with this one is, in the oneness of the preparation... What is it going to look like in that time of the marriage feast? So turn to Revelation 19. We touched on this last week. I'm just going to hit it for a moment. In Revelation 19, we talked through the book of Revelation. We got to the place where the church is now coming back. The second coming of Christ is about to come down. All of what's happened in the tribulation hour and the antichrist and It's about to be the shortest war and the end of all this junk that's happened. He says in verse 7, Revelation 19, 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. New Living says, Let's be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Write this, the angel said to me, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. So let me ask you a question Um, is there a difference between a bride and a wife? Yes. What's the difference? The wedding ceremony, right? Your bride, you're all dressed up, you're going, right? And uh, the wife is one who's already been betrothed, gone through the betrothal process, and has had the covenant blessing, the exchanging of the vows and the consummation of the marriage. Right? And so, you guys are looking at me like I'm strange, right? right? Okay. And then you kind of go back. Now, I want you to go with me for a minute. When you first came to Christ, you probably were, there's all different emotions on this. Some could not be quiet. It's like, I got the truth. Everybody needs to know it. And you're a little, you know, overboard maybe. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not sure that that's bad. It's not. It's like excitement, but you know, there's, there's wisdom in the application of it. So But if I go back and I think about, I met this lady when she was 16, right? I knew her for, was it five years before we got married? Right? I couldn't be married, I went to a military college and you couldn't be married. So we were so anxious to get married. On graduation day, I stand there and I get my nuclear diploma. I get my commission in the Navy as an ensign. And in the the evening, I got my bride. We did a military wedding. It, it was one of those, the swordsman, the whole deal, and man, it, it was, and I tell you, the, the, the crowning glory for me that day was that. It was not, because we had waited a lot, so, but as I think back, we, we, you look at our pictures and our scrapbooks, right, when we were 16, 17, 18, and it was like, oh, Lord, wow. <laughs> My mom remembers, yeah, she's like, I remember, you know, staying out late, I would come back on the weekends from the military school and get get liberty, and my dad would say, "Our house closes up at midnight. You better be here." And he was lieutenant colonel in the marines. And I'm like, "Well, I'm out with my honey." My my roommate and I rolled in. He was dating my my wife's best friend. We rolled in at two a.m. and my dad. Our bags were on the front porch, (laughs) and the door was locked. And I knocked on the door. My dad came down. I said, I told you it was locked up at midnight. I said, but, 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 no buts. Good night. We slept in my car that night. That was the last night I came in. But when I look at the wild things we would do, when I look now at my wife, a seasoned wife, there's a reason. Listen to some of these scriptures. Well-seasoned. No, that's not what I meant. Ugh. Now, come on. Here's what, the, here's what the Lord says about wives. He says, first of all, a wife shall, a husband shall leave her father, his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and there'll be one. Genesis 2. Proverbs 5 says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. I rejoice in her. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Yeah, you're not where you were, right? Some things have fallen down. I used to have, I was telling my grandson... I used to have a six-pack. Now he tells the grandpa, I think you have a keg. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank you, Elijah. So he, I said, well, he goes, I want to get a six-pack. What, what would a 12-pack look like? I said, I don't know. I don't, but anyway, and so this week he was saying, I'm not going to have a donut, grandpa. We got to work out, so we're raking the yard. So we're working on our six-packs, you know. Anyway, I don't know where I got that there. Anyway, so Proverbs 12, 4 says, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Proverbs 18.22, if you find a wife, you find what is good, and you find favor with the Lord. Wow. Proverbs 19.14 says, a prudent wife. 31.10 says, a wife of noble characters, more valuable than rubies. So we see on and on, obviously, when you think of, when I look at my wife, and I can appreciate our history and past and all of the good, the bad, and the ugly stuff we've been through. And some of you know my testimony. It's, you know, those are hard times, right? But when I look now at how she mentors both our children and the grandchildren and our great-grandchild, there's wisdom. We, you know, things that used to whack us out when our kids would, they did what, you know, and it's like, they'll get over it, just, you know. They'll work it out, you know. And so there's this tremendous value to when we're seasoned. And I want you to see right now in the betrothal process of all of us to the Son, we're being matured for the brideship that's coming. That's why he said in Philippians 1.6, he began a work in you and he will perform it until the day Christ comes. Whether that's in death, and we go through the veil, or he comes back. And so embrace all the stuff. Somebody said, Well, I haven't done really well. That's okay. Today's a new day. This is the day the Lord's made, it's a new beginning. It says, Today is the day of salvation. You can come to Christ or you can start over. That's the amazing part of this wonderful, blood bought promise that God gave us, right? Okay, let's, let's finish this thing. Look at um, in your outline where it says, The difference between, number four there, the difference between an engaged bride and a mature wife. We know from Revelation 19 there's a preparation going on. Well, turn with me. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11 and see what Paul says. His role. What was his mandate? 2 Corinthians 11. you got to love the Corinthians church. They were kind of the, they were the rebellious child <laughs> in the scriptures. And I thank God that they were, you know, because he talks a lot about their messes and what they shouldn't, shouldn't do and what they ought to be doing. And, and uh, whereas the Ephesians church seemed to get a lot of the, woohoo. And so in Corinthians, apparently the Corinthian church was being influenced by false teaching. And uh, Paul comes back to the church in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, I hope you'll put up with me a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. I'm jealous for you with jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Now, I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these, quote, super apostles. So he goes on and Apparently there were these teachers that were coming in. Some were getting money for whatever they were doing. But they were causing them to, to cause the church to be tossed to and fro in different doctrine. And Paul says, look, my role, my, the purpose for planting the church at Corinth was to present you as a spotless bride to the one who is Christ. But I'm concerned now that you're being pulled aside in all different directions. Man, isn't that today? There's so much craziness and the internet has caused a lot to bring confusion and chaos as well. But he says, I'm after you. We won't turn there, but in Matthew 25, I referenced that earlier, the 10 virgins with oil in their lamps and five were ready and five were not. You can read that in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Hosea, that's a really strange book, but it turns out this prophet marries, actually marries a prostitute. And the whole analogy of that is the, example of what God is going to do with those who are not following after their covenant relationship with marriage. And he uses that book and he goes through the whole part of this says, there will be, I always like to read the back of that book. It's like, yay, there's restoration and yay, they get it, right? But in the process, there's all this crazy worldliness of self-centered going after stuff that eventually will either cost you big or you'll get over it, and you'll see the difference. And so God in his relationship, his draw to us, we have all these scriptures that give us examples of the desire for the bride to grow up, become well-seasoned in your walk with Christ, and be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, listen in, in Ephesians. I won't turn to all these, but if you look at number five, I love what God, he doesn't just engage us, betroth us, and then leave us. Here's what he does. In 5a, he says, he showers us with kindness. You can see that in Ephesians 1. He chooses you for greatness. Right? He does. Every one of us, he chooses you for greatness. Now, somebody said, well, I'm not, you know, look at Pastor Mike. He's going to go into... Guess what? If your role is to change diapers in the nursery, that is your call, to pray over those babies. When I think of Linda Goodman and what she does, how many years she's taken care of generations of our babies that have now grown up. She prays for them and she, she's there. She'll be the, probably the last one to leave this site. When I'm leaving, she'll be there cleaning up. Yesterday, as we had this teaching on angels, and uh, it, was a, it was amazing. But he, the, one of the things the speaker said is there are all different myriads of angels. But there may be an angel that's over the nursery. And that angel's just really happy to be there with those five babies. Because that's his call from God. If God says, you do this, and that angel says yes, or God says to you, you do this, whether it's to travel the nations, or it's to go teach Sunday school, or to throw out the trash. If that's the call, then God says, well done, my faithful servant. So let's not get too wound up on, you know, how big and how, in the world it's like, what position? Who's the CEO? and what We all need that, Yes? But what is your role? If your role is to fund the church and that's your call, then God will honor that on that day. If it's to be an encourager or to be an intercessor in the midnight hour, just do what the Lord tells you to do, right? He has chosen you for greatness. And that definition of greatness is pretty wide. It's whatever he says. He marks us there. Number 5C, he marks you with the Holy Spirit. We read that, right? He fills you with the Holy Spirit's power. He frees us from sin's curse and bondage. He brings you near to God, and then he makes you part of his house. Part of his house. This this is kind of interesting. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Let's go there for a minute. In Ephesians 2, we know that he tells us in, in Peter that you're the living stones formed as the holy nation, the holy priesthood. You're a bunch of living stones of his house. Romans tells us, know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so all the stones are fitting together. And this makes a whole lot more sense when you start realizing in my Father's house are many rooms. Right? Jesus says in, Matthew 14, uh, in John 14, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything's ready, I'm going to come get you. So these are the the stones, so the the rooms, the stone walls of of this temple. And then he goes on and he deals, let's look at Ephesians and look at 2. Let's pick up in verse 19. 2.19 he says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's good news. You are citizens along with all God's holy people you got a citizenship, so where's your citizenship? What's your passport look like? Belongs to Jesus Christ, betrothed. That's why the devil looks at you and says, you carry a passport that's engraved with heaven. The lamb's blood has marked, right? He says, so you are a citizen. You're part of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together. I like that word. I looked it up. Carefully, it's like well, it's like the stone has etchings, right? That stone's got to fit perfectly in the wall of the temple. And so your rough edges, they're getting ground off. You're going to have to go through this. You're going to get this ground because it's got to fit. You you ever see a mason, when they do it, they got to cut it. We just had tile work done on our house. They had to get it just right. You're being carefully built and fitted. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. Turn to 3.14. Just kind of go to the next chapter. 3.14, he says this. Paul writes, Ephesians 3.14, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, what is that? I pray that from all his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with an inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots, they're going to go down into God's love, and they will keep you strong through all the storms of life. You're going to be that oak planted by the river, right? 18, he says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience, you might want to underline that, may you experience, King James says, comprehending. Understanding, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great to understand fully, it's just too great. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever ask or even, or, or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So you are part of God's house. And then we read, and you live as one with Christ. Think about this. That's why he said, know you not that your body is the temple. Can you attach your body that's holy to something unholy? He says, don't. don't don't do that. You grieve. Grieve the Holy Spirit. You just grieve the Holy Spirit when that happens. God, help us to be empowered in such a way that we recognize in all the fullness of this revelation that we're walking in preparation, the temple that's being formed up. He says, so live as one with Christ. Number six there, well then, what does He want from us? What is He expecting? What is the Revelation or what is the, the the good deeds that are being done? Well, I listed a few there, and Ephesians covers them in chapter four and on to five and six. One, what does the body do with him? Since we're the body of Christ, what should the body be doing? Well, there should be a unity in our commitment. There's a oneness, right? Spiritual gifts operating. If you don't know what your gifts are, maybe you're new to this, or maybe you've practiced these gifts, but maybe you backed off on. Get some new fire. Put yourself in a position. Go out with Ron and those guys for street angels. Right? Woo! There's a... Come to House of Mercy every Thursday, 12 o'clock. People come in and they need prayer. And the number of prayers is increasing. You'll have an opportunity to exercise those gifts. Go stand at Lifetime, or 40 Days for Life, in intercession... You'll get a lot of honks of yay, and you'll get a few other things <laughs> flashed at you. In that process, you'll start to understand, I'm standing for Christ. I'm standing in that place. What I'm saying is exercise your gifts. You Go to the nursery. Volunteer for children's ministry. Find your place, because when you're in the doing part of this, you will be put in a position where you'll have to love beyond yourself, because people come in with all sorts of stuff, Right? <laughs> And they'll be that place where you're going to have to love them. And in the process, in the giving, you actually receive more, right? That's a promise. So spiritual gifts operating. How about genuine moral standards? The church needs to look different than the world. Hello? Reject worldly practices. Man, you can get drawn into stuff. Mutual submission and love is family. Sometimes you've got to love people that aren't very lovely. Today's uh, Jennifer LeClaire devotion my wife and I do was love those that you've offended or pray for those that you've offended and pray for your enemies. Whew, glory to God. That's, that can be hard, right? Especially those that have really, really brought a wound or hurt. Taking some things that are precious, those who have been abused. There's there's something about letting that go. Mutual submission is love. And then fight the enemy. Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Because you can't do this. You can't exercise your gifts. You can't love. You can't be committed. You can't walk in a moral high, high standard unless you put on the full armor of God and face the enemy. And there's times when it's just like, Pastor, I'm like, oh I'll just be transparent for a minute. Yesterday, I said, this, one of the words was, Man, I see a little big angel behind you. I said, Really? <laughs> I, don't, I've never, I have never seen, I, I sense atmospheres. I don't know about you, but I can walk in a place and I can feel darkness or witchcraft or the joy or the presence of the Lord. And you all do it also. There was a moment in our worship this morning. Did you see it also? It was during that Praise the Lord song. When the, when the family was just in worship and all of a sudden the hands were, I looked across, hands got up, some people stood up. There's that moment where all of a sudden the Spirit of God descends and there's a unity in spirit, right? And we know that's like, whoo! And that's a rip and ripe in, environment to come into open battle against the enemy for oneness, For is that place where, I, I don't know what happened, but I just felt like God, right? And so in the midst of this, he said, look, I, I, I see this angel behind you, and he's big, and he's in his 30s, I said, okay, and he looks, um, he's got not a sword, he's got a spear, and it's a long spear, and it's ornate, it's carved, and the angel is sitting there, and he's got a sharpening stone, and he's very serious, and he's sharpening right behind you. and I'm like, Whoa. I got to tell you, there's times, I'll share one time, and then we'll close. I was in Tanzania with Leif Hetland, Jack Taylor. We'd taken a team of 30, and we were there, and our role was to engage in spiritual warfare against the demonic. We were supposed to run the deliverance tents against Macumba, San Muerte, those who had been caught up in all that, and so our team had trained. We were ready, and they wanted to honor me, so they gave me my own hut on this uh, coffee plantation so I put all the team members in huts, and they gave me my own hut. <laughs> Great. And the next morning, I'm supposed to get on stage in front of, I think, I estimate there were about five, 7,000 people, and I was to engage the spirit of witchcraft, pray against it, and our team was going to then deliver. That night, I don't know about you, but there was a spiritual warfare going on in that hut. I step outside my hut, and there's a guy sitting outside my hut with a 12-gauge shotgun loaded. And I'm like okay, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Uh, why are you here? He goes, well, sometimes people come in in the night, and they raid, and they, ro- and they rob. I'm here to make sure you don't get hurt. I said, I think that's good. Stay right there. But then I went into the hut. I'm saying, okay, Lord, how did I get here? These people, we're going to go tomorrow, and this is, we're going into war. It's going to like, we're going to hit the beach, the beachhead. And we prepared But I got to tell you, Lord, I don't want anybody hurt. I don't know what we're going to engage with. Um, And I felt the devil just kind of speaking like, who do you think you are? You're going to go, and you're going to do what? Don't you know that I can kill you? And these are things in my head. I'm not hearing audible voices, but these are like, and I'm like, okay. Now, I preach spiritual warfare. (laughs) But I got to tell you, there's where the rubber meets the road. Do you really believe what you're talking about? Where It's like, yeah, okay. So I pull out the word, Psalm 91. I said it out loud. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High shall dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. Those who declare that He is God. No evil shall befall your dwelling place. He will spring every snare, of the fowler. It goes on. Right? So I, I, and then I'm like, okay. Lord, Luke, Luke chapter 10 in no way can the enemy harm you. You will step on snakes and scorpions and you will crush them. Like, so I'm, what am I doing? The soul man is hearing the spirit man reading the word of God, and that word of God is active. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll cut between soul and spirit, and it's able to separate those things. That, so what's happening is I'm getting like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what God said. And so you put us here, God. We're coming here. We've invested. We're under the covering of those that are here. We're underlaid. You told us to do this. You're not going to... I went to bed and slept like a baby. But I'm telling you, you're all going to have to fight. You're going to have to put on the armor. I know your situations are all different. But unless you... We battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness in the high places. Put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation that's ever to guard your thought life. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace that you can walk in the gospel. Put on the belt of truth, which is that spiritual truth that is in you, right? Take the sword of the spirit, which is the active word of God. Take the shield of faith, which is able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. And then put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the blood of Christ. That's the armor of God. That's our faith walk. And so you all got it. When you get in that battleground place, you got to stand. That's where the reality of who you are in Christ and your identity. But you can picture I am a, a betrothed b- God bride that I am going to a wedding feast. I am dearly loved and he loves me as much as he loves Christ. Therefore, I can stand and I can do what he's called me to do because he loves me. You are the plan. You've always been the plan. Jesus is the strategic ability to get us there. And that timing when it comes, whoa, glory to God. When that thing happens, it's going to be whether you stand before him or we come together in the rapture and stand before him. What a day it's going to be. Let's all stand and come on. Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that you would just release an anointing. I'm going to invite the ministry team. You know who you are. Come on up, because there may be here some this morning that need prayer. You need prayer for stuff that you want to get free from, or you want to witness the goodness of the grace of God. I want to I be known as one who walks with Christ. I want to walk in that place. See, if you and I can walk in this revelation of the brideship, of the 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 betrothed bride of Christ, then when we walk into places, family, circumstances, tough things at work, downtown, wherever, you walk in that place of a place of authority. I am dearly loved. He has got me. And all I am is just a mouthpiece. I'm a happy bride. Would you like to see my engagement ring? It's around my heart. It's in my heart. It's there. I'm not angry, I'm not bitter, I'm not resentful. You may be all screwed up and your beliefs, are, but I, love you. I love you. So, Lord, we just pray right now, would you release that anointing? Holy Spirit, would you come tonight? I pray that you sing over everyone that's here. That when they get into bed tonight, there's, just, there's this place of the revelation of God. Yeah. That I am dearly loved. God, Pastor Tom told me you love me as much as Jesus. God, I want a revelation on that because that'll that'll motivate us. He loves you. He died. He says, no greater love is given than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Lord, I pray. Raise up this body. Lord, I pray the blessing of the Lord to shine upon you in the name of Jesus. Don't forget, Monday night, we'll be here with men's group at 7. Wednesday night, come and bring... Your meal of the nation, whatever nation might be. I, I heard Daisy said, I'm going to bring my Chinese meal. I can't wait to taste that. Miss Addie's got some amazing fried chicken. I'm probably going to bring some bratwurst and sauerkraut. So y'all bring bring some stuff. We'll bring it together here. We're going to gather together and just have that fellowship time at 6.30. And then, Lord, we thank you. Don't forget, Saturday is a work day. Come at 8. We've got, we purchased the mulch. I prayed, Lord, let that go on sale. And didn't you know it? Both Home Depot and, and Lowe's put it on sale. Four bags for 10. So we got it. We saved a bunch of money. But we're going to have pine needles come in. We've got to make the place look beautiful. we got some trees to cut down and things to cut up. Y'all come. So, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right.